Well, good morning, church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. As Jeff mentioned, we are going to be looking at Psalm 107 this morning. And last week, Jeff, after he read his psalm, he, he said, let me read it again because it was short. I will not be doing that this morning. It is a longer psalm, but it's a, a deep and it's a rich psalm. And uh, I just want to bring our attention to that. Uh, just a, a brief introduction before I, I read this passage. One, uh, this is a, a psalm that is really speaking to the exiles. We know that at different times in the history of Israel, the, the nation of Israel had been exiled. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. We know they had come back from, uh, they had been exiled in Babylon for uh, a period of time, and they had come back from that exile. And so you, you'll notice some things, like in verse 3 of the passage, it says, he's gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And so God is doing this work. And when, when, when I think about that as God gathering his people, how do we take that as a church? And we know that God is, is gathering a people from every nation, tongue, and, and tribe. And, and therefore, he is building his kingdom and his purposes here on earth, even in the midst of, of a world that, that is really falling away and perishing. And, and so we, we have that as our hope, that God is building his church. And in this passage, again, I, there, there's some repetition, and I want us to know that up front. As I read this, you'll see that, because what I'm going to do is I'm, gonna, I'm not going to normally go through it just like I normally would, but what I'm going to do is look at these chunks, and then we're going to look at the different sections, and because, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of repetition. And I, I have three points, and I just want to make note of those before I read. One is that God's steadfast love redeems us from our trouble. God's steadfast love redeems us from our trouble. The second point is this. God's steadfast love is responsive to our humility. God is opposed to the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And then thirdly, God's steadfast love functions within his providence. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 107 together. This is the, the word of God. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in a desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he shatters the door of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. 
They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the strong, the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the, in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the, the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours, out, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in, in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for your, your holy and inerrant word, and by it we are, we are encouraged and we are strengthened, and, and by it we learn who you are and how your great and steadfast love is displayed to your people. Father, I pray for this time that, it, that I proclaim your word, that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say and eyes to see your goodness and your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read this in a sermon by a pastor by the name of Stephen Cole, and I thought it was a, a good illustration to start off this sermon. And it goes like this. A man was the sole survivor of a shipwreck. He was able to make a raft from, from some of the ship's car, cargo and drifted to a desert island. Then he constructed a makeshift shelter and lived on what little food he had been able to salvage from the wreckage. Time after time, he tried in vain to attract the attention of a passing ship. Finally, he saw a ship approaching more closely and hurried, hurriedly lit a signal fire. To his dismay, the ship passed by and was quickly fading from sight. Accidentally, the flames from the signal fire set the thatched roof of his shelter on fire. The man watched helplessly as all his provisions burned to ashes. All was lost, he thought. He didn't see how his life could last much longer. 
But then he noticed that the ship, which had passed by him, had turned around and was approaching the island again. To his relief, he was seen by the crew and rescued. Once on board, he went to the captain to express his thanks. He asked, what caused you to turn around after you had already gone by me? The captain answered, we saw the smoke you made by setting your shelter on fire. The very thing that seemed to seal his doom was the means of his delivery. I think it's a, a good illustration because so many times we go through these trials and we go through these things and what happens is we, we think, where is God? How is God working in this trial? How am I going to get through this trial? And sometimes when we go through trials, we, we can see evidently that this is something that I caused myself. In my own life, what I have seen is I've seen consequences to sin, and I've suffered those consequences. And we see in this passage, in, in, in verse 11, for instance, it says, for they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so there was some, something that they had done that brought about the trial that they were in. Or, or verse 17 says, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. And that is true, that happens. Some things that we do, but there, there are other times that it seems there's no reason to the suffering that we go through. When we go through something and we look at somebody else and we say, look, my life is no different than theirs, and I can't see anything. That, there's no correlation between the suffering that I'm going through and the trial that I'm going through and, and what I've done. I haven't done anything. Of course we know that we're not perfect. Of course, we know that we sin and we fall short, but there's not, no direct correlation or it just doesn't seem right and doesn't seem to correspond to anything. And, and we ask this, what, what is the answer? And, you know, how, how is God working in this situation in my life? Some of those deepest and hardest times I, I've, I've drawn near to God. And one of the one of the books that I love, and I probably mentioned this in another sermon, and I just want to encourage you to read it, it's called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. But it was a, a hard time in my life when I first read that book. And, and there's, there's a subtitle, Trusting God When Life Hurts. And I remember reading that, and, 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 and Jerry Bridges comes up with really, I think, three points throughout this whole book. And the first one is that God is sovereign. And, and what we're going through, and we see that in our passage, that God is sovereign over these events. These are, are not just things that are outside of his control, but, but the other thing that he points out is, is that God is loving. And we see that in our passage, that his steadfast love endures forever. But it also talks about God's wisdom, because if he's loving and sovereign, you know, maybe he'll just get something wrong, but God is wise, and he's without fault, and so whatever he does is good. And, and, and when you read this psalm, the psalmist is is talking about who? He's talking about the redeemed of the Lord. And these are those who have suffered, who have been in exile, and he's, he's bringing them back to, to their homeland. And, and what he, the psalmist does is he gives us those four scenes that we read. And they're struggling in their trials, and we see in these four scenes these four things. First, they have a problem. And what the, that problem does is it drives them to prayer, to cry out to the Lord, and then we see God's provision, and He answers that prayer. And then we see that that leads them to praise the Lord for His goodness. And what I want us to learn from, 
from Psalm 107 is how we are to respond when we face similar trials. And the key is that in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And I want to see these three truths that I mentioned earlier. And the first one is this, God's steadfast love redeems us from our trouble. And again, we see that in the very first verse, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And, 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 and he tells us who it is that, that should proclaim this, doesn't he? Because he says in, in verse 2, he says what? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What does he mean? Say what? He says, let the redeemed of the, the Lord say so. His steadfast love endures forever. That's what they're to proclaim. That's what they're to proclaim. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. To you who have been far off and God has brought you near. The Bible says that, that, that nobody comes to, to Jesus Christ unless the Father draws him. All of us who have been drawn to the Lord can come near to him and, and declare his steadfast love endures forever. No, because he has redeemed you from trouble, meaning that he, is, he has ransomed you, that he has paid the price for your release, that he has delivered you. I mean, speaking of us, Paul says this, that he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, when we we're thinking about planting this church. We were in the process of planting this church. I can remember us meeting at, at my house. We had not even come up with a name yet, and we, we were throwing a bunch of different things out, and, and we were kind of going back and forth in, in this idea, yeah, what about redeemed? And we, obviously what? We settled on that. But we did so for a reason, because that's who we are. We're, we're redeemed, and, and over the years, I, I know people have come to me and said, oh, you're, you're Redeemer church. No, he's the redeemer. We're the redeemed. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and, and therefore we should be the ones that are declaring his goodness and his steadfast love that it, that it endures forever, no matter what we're going through. You know, he, we are the redeemed, and he has brought us out of slavery and imprisonment. Why? Because of his his steadfast love, he has, he has redeemed us. He has paid the price. His, his love was so great that, that he sent his one and only son to ransom us and to redeem us. And, and that unfailing love doesn't just come and it doesn't just satisfy our, our eternal destiny, but it satisfies our longing souls here and now throughout our lives. Oh, and he has promised to graciously, even in this life, give us all things. This is love that not only rescues us from peril, but also never fails throughout our lives. And he, he works everything in, in our lives. And, and, and then we, we have to think, though, if we're going through these trials, then how is God working? And, and he's doing so because he has a purpose. And that purpose is to transform us into the kingdom or into the, the, the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. And the purpose of trials is to draw us more to Christ, that we would be more like him. And he speaks to these people who are uh, going to be gathered from exile from the east and, and from the west and from the north and from the south. And he, he shows them that he is so willing to go the distance to, to redeem his people. And when we think of that in, in the context of us as Christians, what has he done? 
He has gone the distance. He has, he has sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to be the sacrifice for our sins, to redeem a people for himself, his own possession, as Jeff read earlier. What an amazing God we have. And we know that Jesus was willing to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So great was his love, so determined was he to bring us to himself that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that we had to change. It wasn't that we had to, 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 to do something. It wasn't that we, you know, had to improve our lives in some way that, that he would have to come to us. No, he, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God's steadfast love must be our focus when we are experiencing these trials. You know, when our, when our circumstances are, are overwhelming us, we must first all go back to the greatest demonstration of God's love for us in sending his son, son to redeem us. I mean, that's where we start. When, when you're suffering trial, do you do that? Do you go to the Lord and say, God, I know I'm yours. If I know I'm yours, then I can trust you during the, this trial. But another thing that, that I do in my own life is, is I go back during, during those hard times, during those trials, and I reflect on his steadfast love and, and how he has delivered me in the past. Because he's done so over and over. And, and sometimes... What I find is when I go to him and, 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 and I rehearse those things that are in my past that he's delivered me, I find out that, that he, at times, was the treasure that I got when I, when I sought him. It wasn't that he fixed my problems. It was this, just that he became more glorious to me, and I loved him more, and, and I, I, I sought him more, and I was grateful for that. So for personally, I go back to trials. I, I look back at, at a time in the past that I, that I lost my job or I was out of work or, or a time that my, my mother passed away, and I, I remember God's faithfulness. And I go back to the time that we planted this church, and I go back to the time when I was raising my children, and, and, and they were going through things, and I see God's faithfulness over and over. Just these last few years, I mean, so many churches have have gone through, through so much with this COVID. And, but I see and I look back and I, I, I thank God for his faithfulness during this period of time. So we need to remember his, his faithfulness when he has inter, intervened in our, in our circumstances. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to go back and remind ourselves of, of God's goodness. Even when we're, we're overwhelmed by all that seems wrong, all the pain that we might be going through, all the difficulties, by the, the overwhelming circumstances of life, we can, we can give thanks for his steadfast, unfailing love. Amen? But we know that in the midst of those things, we, we know that he's doing something in the midst of these trials, which, which really brings me to, to our second point, that God's steadfast love is responsive to, to our humility. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that, you know, Hebrews 12 says what? He, he disciplines those he loves. How many like discipline? <laughs> not many of us like discipline. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrews says, discipline is not pleasant at the time. But in, in the end, it brings forth the fruit of righteousness. And, and so God, at times, disciplines us because he's not just going to let us live in the sin that so easily entangles us. No, he wants us to be a holy people. As Jeff mentioned, we're being sanctified by the Lord, and he is doing things in our lives to bring that sanctification about. And we should be thankful for that, that he's doing that. No, he, he loves us so much, not, 
not allowing us just to stay there. Now, I like this TV show. I don't know. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's, it's called Blown Away. It's a TV show. It's a competition. And, and what they're doing is they're creating these, these things uh, out of glass. And it's a competition where they're, they're doing these different sculptor, sculptures and, and, and they, they're all given an assignment. And, and it's amazing that they take just a, a lump of, of glass and they stick it into a furnace and they let that, that glass get red hot. And then they, they have a hose and they, and they blow it so it expands and then they mold it and it starts to cool off and they stick it back in the fire and it gets hot again, and then they can mold it some more. And, and you see as this, this show's going on that these, these things are starting to take shape, and you're kind of like, well, that, that, that's pretty cool. What is, you know, how, how is this coming about? And, and then what they do is they, after they're all done, they stick it in this box, and they, they let it cool off. And then they put it in this gallery, and you can't see in the gallery. And then what, what happens is they, they all of a sudden illuminate the gallery and you see all these things that these people have made, and you, you think, how amazing that they could do that. And that's, that's like the trials that, that we go through. That God is making us into something beautiful. He's making us into people who reflect His Son. He's, and He's doing so at times through the trials to, to soften our hearts. Yes, it gets hot, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and, and we go through these things, and sometimes it seems like it's taking so long, Lord. How long, O oh Lord, until I'm, I'm, I'm like your son? And so we long to be like Jesus, and ultimately we know that, that that won't happen until we see him face to face. But then what he does in our passage is, is he, he shows us in verses 4 through 32, the psalmist gives us these, these four scenes, and I want to I want to look at those, and there are four scenes that really show him how he is turning the hearts in these different scenes of the people in these scenes. And then, as he turns their heart, they, they, what they do is they, they cry out to him, and then he intervenes. And, and we see this all ends with this refrain. This refrain. Look at verse 8. This refrain it says this, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. That's their end when he's done with them. And then verse 15, the same, the same refrain. And then in verse 21, the, the same refrain. And then in verse 31 again, the same refrain. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Aren't you glad that God is doing this in you? That there's going to be a day that, that he is finished with you and that you'll be able to thank the Lord with all your heart. Yes, we thank him now for what he's doing and what he's done, but there's going to be a day that we thank him with all our hearts, well, that we will thank him for his steadfast love, that, that he was never finished with us until we saw him face to face. No, so his love never fails, even in the midst of our, our circumstances, even though uh, these these people in these passages are so overwhelmed. Uh, it's such a stressful and difficult situation, but he's making their hearts, and in, in our trials, he's making our hearts pliable because he is making us into something beautiful. And, and, and I want us to look at that, that process that, that we go through. The first uh, uh, step is this, that, that we struggle in our circumstances. 
We struggle in our circumstances. And you see that in these four scenes. The first scene in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5 says this, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. We see the second scene in verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For, the, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So we bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Do you ever feel like there's none to help? We see the third scene in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. You ever suffer in such a way that you think, Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus, now? You see in scene 4, verses 23 through 27, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised up, raised up the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. You see this picture of the waves just rising. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths, down to the valley of that sea. They, their courage melted away. Their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Do you ever feel that in the trial that you're going through that you're at your wit's end? At times we do. And God uses these these circumstances, these trials uh, for us to struggle. And so these four scenes, there's the wandering around, there's the hungry and thirsty, no place to call home. There's being in prison and, and captivity, wasting away. There's rebelling and so suffering with sickness. There's being out in a, in a storm-tossed sea. And, and we're not immune to these, are we? No, we're not immune to these. Our, you know, our church, you know, and I was just thankful for, for Jeff's prayer earlier, for, for all the things that you, that you were praying for. And, and we have so many things that are going on in our church right now. So many people that are, that are suffering and, and need of prayer and people are going through these, these different things. And, you know, we have so many things to be thankful for in this church, but, but there are a lot of trials and a lot of people going through these trials. And I was just thinking that in this church we've had so many babies born and we rejoice in that, but we've also had several ladies in really the last year that have suffered miscarriages. You know, how are they dealing with that? How are they going through this? What, what is God doing in them and drawing them to, to himself? We've had many people who are, who are sick. We've had people uh, w who have lost jobs. We've seen people get evicted. And I, I, I could go on and on. I mean, I was just talking to Jason uh, on this week and about his mom who, who went in, into the hospital. And, you know, we're thankful that she came out. But it goes on and on. There's these trials that, that we go through. We ask ourselves, what, what is God doing? Where is God? What, what is He calling us to do? And well, that leads us to the second step, because we see in every one of these four scenes, after the trouble is described, He tells us how they responded. Look at this, and in every one of these verses, verses 6, what did they do? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. And then in verse 13, 
verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Then verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then in verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That is the answer. As we are suffering the trials that we go through in this life, God uses these trials to, to, to make our hearts pliable, to make us usable, to, to make us come to a place where, where we are, our strength is sapped, that we would call out to Him in our trouble and wait for Him to deliver us. James 1 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has a purpose, doesn't he, in our trials? And, and sometimes it seems like he's, he's pushing us to, to our limits, but we have to recognize how weak we are and how dependent we are on him. I like, I like what that one verse says, that, that, we, that they were at their wit's end. I mean, there's so many times that we seem like we are at our wit's end, but we know that God has promised to, to never give us anything that we can't handle. No. And so we come to the point that we must seek His, his mercy and His grace and have Him deliver us. And when He has caused us to struggle, when He, he breaks our hearts so that we call on Him, then God saves us. And, and, and we know that that happens sometimes in, in the way that we want Him to, we're out, of, we're out of work and we're out of a job and we pray and, and God gives us a job. Other times, other times it, it doesn't seem to be the answer we want. But we know that, that God is still there and ultimately He saves us ultimately because He saved us in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the third part of this, that, that we see those four scenes as well. That In verses 4 through 5, as I said, we see the lost, wandering, hungry, and thirsty in that first scene. But he inter intervenes. Verse 7 says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So we see that he, he saves and he intervenes. And ultimately, we know that when we look at things like this, we, we can't help but say, Isn't that what Jesus Christ does to, uh, for us? that He satisfies the, the, the longing of our souls, that He satisfies our, our hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, in John 4, 14, Jesus says to the thirsty, whoever drinks of this water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. To the hungry, Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And to the lost, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus answers this, not in exactly the same way as the psalmist is declaring, but, but he answers it for us, that we can draw near, and ultimately our salvation is in him. The second scene, we see uh, the prisoners are wasting away in verses 10 through 12, but God intervenes, doesn't he? In verse 14, it says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. 
And in verse 16, it says, For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. We know as, as Christians that we were once slaves to sin. We were once lost and, and we needed to be redeemed. We remember in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus reads from Isaiah in the, in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And we, we were prisoners. And he has come to set us free. We were, and he is ultimately our, our redeemer and, and our savior. And in that third scene in verse 17 and 18, it says some were foolish and they were, they were foolish and their choices had, uh, brought suffering and affliction. We see in verse 20 that he sent out his word and, and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. We know that Jesus comes and says that he did not come to call the righteous but sinners. He came to, to seek and save that which was lost. We know that he came and he said that, uh, that those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And we, we know ultimately that that by his stripes, according to Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. He's the one that, that heals every one of our afflictions. And then we think of that last scene in verses 23 through 27, where they're tossed on the sea, and they're at their wits' end, it says in verse 27, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works of the children of man. When you think about this storm-tossed ship, and these men crying out, you can't help but think of what? The Lord Jesus Christ on the Sea of Galilee in the storm. And you see them, his disciples crying out to him, save us. It says in Mark 4 that he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And the psalmist declares that as we understand God's unfailing love in the midst of our circumstances, we must call out and seek God, seek God, and God will save. And ultimately, we know that he has demonstrated that through his, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the savior of sinners and who came and rescued us from the, the dominion of darkness. And by redeeming us for, from our sin, he is it is ultimately him that we must trust in. But just as we trust Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, the other thing we need to trust him is in the midst of our, our our trials that we're going through, that God is at work in us to make us more like Christ. But, it does, but as I said earlier, he doesn't always answer in the way that we want. We call out to him, and sometimes it's a, a different answer. And it reminds me of, of Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul cried out to the, to the Lord, and he asked the Lord, he had this thorn in the flesh, and he says, please take take this thorn from me. And he did, did so three times. 
God did not answer in the, in the way that Paul wanted. But God said this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And therefore Paul declared this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul trusted in, in the Lord during those trials because he knew that the Lord was, was with him, and he knew that his grace was, was sufficient. And what does God call us to do when, when we're struggling in our circumstances? We've already said this many times. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. That's what we're to do. And it's during these trials that God breaks our hearts and brings us to our knees where we humble ourselves and declare that we cannot do this on our own and we cry out to him in our distress. And God ultimately will save us and he will intervene and he will help us and he will give us rest when he has shaped us in, into the image of Christ. Not that he will answer us exactly how we want every time. And and I, I've seen this in my own life, that I, I've seen him answer in so many different ways. But that brings me to my last point, and it's this. God's steadfast love functions within his providence. God's steadfast love functions within his providence. We see that in these last few verses, 33 through 43. And, and I love what Derek Kidner said in his commentary on this. And in this section, he, he actually called this this section in his commentary, Disposer Supreme. And he speaks about God's sovereignty. He says, the psalm now drops the pattern of calamity, cry, salvation, and thanksgiving for a conclusion which draws out the lesson of God's sovereignty from experiences like these. See, God is sovereign in all these experiences because he is the one that is in many ways, is, is brought about the calamities themselves to bring us to a place of humility that we might call on him, that he might answer, that he might get the glory. Now, the psalm now drops the pattern of calamity, uh, cry, salvation, thing, for a conclusion which draws out the lesson of God's sovereignty from experiences like these. I mean, just look at, look at verse 33. And you see this, that it's, that it's not just one answer. He, it says, he turns rivers into desert, into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. But then he contrasts that. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. God is good, he's loving, but he's sovereign. He can, he can do what he wants to do. He can drive up a river, dry up a river and he can turn a desert into a spring. He can do either one. And, and, and there's different times in our lives that that's what he's doing. And we experience these trials, and, but we know this, that, that his grace is sufficient. I know, that, I know that God is good. And I know that his steadfast love endures forever. And I know that he, ha that he has a plan, and that, that plan is that he does good for me. But I don't know necessarily what that plan is every day in my life. But I know it's a good plan. You know, God's steadfast love never ceases, but we, we can't always figure out that plan. 
And in verse 37, he says, they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a, a, a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. I mean, those, those things are good things, aren't they? But look at the very next verse. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow. Again, you have this, this contrast. He pours out contempt on princes and makes them wander in, in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. Again, there's, there's both there. When, what is God's plan for you? And we can ask, you know, is it blessing? I would say yes, it's always blessing. Even when it's not exactly like we want it to be, it's always blessing. Even though we can't see what that blessing looks like. Because often the blessing is what? It's future. Often the blessing is in, in heaven. Now, I, don't, I don't know what it is, whether it's humility or trials that he's doing. How long will this, this period of, of grace be on me, and how long does this trial last? I don't know, but, but what I do know, and, and this is my own reflection, what I do know is that every trial I have ever experienced, I know that God was doing something. I know that he was doing something. Do I, do I, do I see all of that in this life? No. But I know that, that I have a promise. In fact, there are many promises I mean, one promise is in James chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who reigns steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We have a promise that, that after we have withstood this test, we will receive the crown of life. Or I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in the midst of the trials that, that the Corinthians are, are going through. Paul tells them this. He says, so under these trials, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Let me tell you, as I get older, I feel myself's outer self wasting away more and more. I was talking <laughs> to my brother Mike, my brother Mike uh, this morning, and he was saying he, he hurt his back and... and Though my outer self is wasting away. But I love this, what he says. Our inner self, our inner self is being, being renewed day by day. As, I, as I'm going through a trial, as I'm suffering affliction, as I'm growing older, my outer self is wasting away. But God is doing something in me. He, he's renewing me. My inner self is being renewed day by day by day. And then he says this, for, for this light and, and momentary affliction. Sometimes it doesn't seem light. Sometimes it doesn't seem momentary. I like what John Piper says. He says, every millisecond of our suffering is bringing us an eternal weight of glory. Every millisecond. Nothing is wasted. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. These are all passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What is best for you? Is it the, the valley or the mountaintop? What is best for you is that we are in the very hands of God 
And no matter what we're going through, you know, it's, is it best to be blessed or to be humbled? Whichever God wants is okay. And it should be okay because what he is doing in our lives, it, and it's, it, it's based on his goodness and his steadfast love for us to, to mold us into the, to the image of Christ. And we can't fully understand God's plan, so we must rejoice in God's providence. Verse 42 says, the upright see it and are glad. Are you glad? Are you glad that God is sovereign and that he is good and that he is loving, that his, his steadfast love endures forever? And in the midst of that trial that you're going through, that he is with you and he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Because the upright understand God's providence. The upright know that God is working in, in a way for, for their good and his glory. But he finishes that, that verse with this. All the wicked, all the wickedness shuts its mouth. The wicked don't have that same attitude that we have, do they? They don't understand. I have seen Christians go through the most horrific trials. The loss of a, of a child, the loss of a family member. And I've seen them come out of that glowing in the grace of God. That God works in their circumstances because they trust him and they know that, that God is good in the midst of it. That God it has a plan and a purpose in this affliction. The wicked are not so. They have no hope. Finishes with this, but the wise, he says in verse 43, whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And when you are in the midst of, our, of your trials, this is where we turn to the steadfast love of the Lord. And we, in doing so, remember that it is always for, for our good and his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you and we, we, like the psalmist, declare that we are to give thanks to the Lord for your steadfast love and your wondrous works to the children of man. We thank you that you have redeemed us for your own possession, a people called uh, to be holy before you. And we thank you that you do not leave us in our sin, but you discipline us and train us and, and humble us to the point where we call out to you, to you for your goodness and your grace to that we would see it again in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.